Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about Tom Hardy's BBC period drama Taboo and the Golden Globe winning movie musical La La Land. Anna has also watched the 1984 TV adaptation of The Box of Delights for the first time, so she'll be telling us how that was later in the show. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We had a few emails and tweets, etc. I had a text from my mum saying that a few of you had difficulties getting the podcast delivered to your iTunes feed automatically last week. It should still be there in your feed. You might just have to download it manually. Do let us know if you had problems and we are looking into it. Yeah, we are following it up. And if you do have problems, just, you know, take a screen grab on your phone and email it to us. And then that makes it much easier for us to chase up. Thank you. On to more exciting things. We had an amazing email from Hannah, who got in touch after we announced last week that Anna was going to be watching The Box of Delights. The subject of Hannah's email is just The Box of Delights exclamation mark and then all caps yay exclamation mark. She's just got such love for the show it was really nice to hear about it. She writes my parents bought it on VHS after my sister and I fell in love with the BBC's Narnia adaptations that came along a few years later and as a 10 year old I loved and was absolutely terrified by it in equal measure. Although the composers for both shows were different I can't help but hear the music for either and be instantly transported back to childhood winters. She would also really recommend reading The Midnight Folk and The Box of Delights, the novels by John Macefield. If you like Swallows and Amazons, which you do, we, I particularly do, it's not really the same, but the sense of children leading the adventure is what links them for me. Oh, that's nice. It's quite an obscure program, I think, so I'm not surprised that if you did love it, your delight would be extremely high on finding other people who did love it too. So thanks, Hannah, for that email. We also had an email from Erica who recommends The Commitments, which has just gone onto American Netflix. I haven't actually checked to see if it's on UK uh, Netflix, okay. but we will investigate. Apparently it's a comedy drama musical directed by Alan Parker and an adaption of Roddy Doyle's novel. She also says, P.S. Thank you for saying what we're all feeling about Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> I actually watched the next Sherlock episode over the weekend and I thought it was a great improvement. Interesting, because we were only talking about the first episode mm -hmm. of the new series. And although lots of you did get in touch to say how much you enjoyed our slating of Sherlock, you know, we like to take things seriously on this show. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if it's got better, we'll give it a chance. So I did not watch it on the basis that I found the first one really tedious, but maybe I should. Well, this one is actually 
really built around a single mystery. Ah, that is one of the big failings of the first one, I felt. Exactly. So, so that has improved a lot. And it stars seriously favourite Toby Jones um, <gasps> as this very, very gross, evil millionaire philanthropist who has a big thing of keys to a hospital that he's donated so much money to he almost owns remind you of anyone Mm. and his favorite room is the morgue remind you of anyone (laughs) and he's a criminal hiding in plain sight so it's this weird sort of jimmy savile-esque idea except this guy's a serial killer rather than a sort of sex crime monster it's really dark but i thought quite good there's obviously a lot of standard Sherlock flourish and lots of silly extra plot lines going on as well. Is there a ghost? Someone said on Twitter there was a ghost. <laughs> I don't remember there being a ghost. The ghost of Mary. I saw people tweeting oh, about the yeah. ghost of Mary. <laughs> Sorry. There, I, the hallucination that okay. uh, John is talking to at all times. Yeah, she's in it a lot. And there are other people who you're like, were they real? Were they not real? Mm. Yeah, mostly I just liked seeing Toby Jones absolutely go full evil creep. Everything about him suddenly looked really creepy to me, which is quite, you know, considering how much we love cuddly Toby Jones, yeah. it's, it's quite impressive. So yeah, I did enjoy it. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Taboo, which is an eight-part BBC drama series created by Stephen Knight, Tom Hardy, and Hardy's father, Edward. It stars Hardy Jr. as James Keziah Delaney, who returns to London in 1814 after being presumed dead for years, to find his father dead and the land he is due to inherit at the heart of a geopolitical battle between Britain, the United States, and the East India Company. Yeah, I think that gets all the key words in there. Period. <laughs> geopolitical. Yeah. Hardy. Many, many yeah. hardies. Um, interesting trivia fact I found out when I was looking into this. So the third co-creator of this show, Stephen Knight, is also the creator of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Ah. And I think probably has made a tremendous fortune out of that. So anyway, apparently this is like the pet project of the Hardy boys, as I like to think of them, mm-hmm. Tom and his dad. And they've been working on it for absolute years, the story rather. And now, finally, it's been brought to the screen. So I watched this, you watched this. Mm-hmm. I think you can tell it is a pet project for better and worse, if yeah, that makes sense. It's very weird and unusual, which is, I think, great. It's nice to see stuff that's a bit off the wall on, you know, primetime weekend BBC viewing. And that, and I also think it's quite like varied in quality as a result. There are some scenes that I thought were really, really cool. And other times where I was just completely lost because there is a lot going on and the level of detail and all these different plots can feel a little bit indulgent sometimes, a bit like another show we were talking about. Yes, that's very true. I was also worried before I watched it that this show was going to be a lot of people like wading through mud as a mechanism to indicate ye olden days. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) indeed it was. That is one of my pet hates about TV period drama, actually, Mm. that obviously there was bad sanitation in the days of yore, but but that doesn't have to be like the main subject of a scene. I also wonder, is is it like a production trick to make these things like very, very badly lit? (laughs) (laughs) Is it a thing that people are going for purely in terms of atmosphere where they're like oh victorian england dickensian foggy dark Mm. or is it like oh maybe if we make this scene a bit dark you won't be able to see the like fiat (laughs) (laughs) in the back of the shot um i don't know i don't know so yeah it is quite muddy and grungy and bloody it's quite dark there's a lot of like people striking candles so you can just see their faces it's one of those shows also where i can imagine that there would be like articles on the mirror being like outrageous no one can understand anything anyone's saying on <laughs> bbc's taboo i had to use subtitles said deborah from yes. sheepscum um <laughs> yes i know what you mean um yeah and i felt very much that it was kind of 
two shows oddly yoked together actually there was one show in which tom hardy is a kind of zombie master returned from africa to take over london and Mm. he wades through a lot of mud like looks at some horse guts um and like sees the undead everywhere and then there's a different show in which tom hardy the like wannabe entrepreneur returns from africa and disputes his inheritance in detail with the businessmen of the east india company yeah and somehow these were both in the same program i prefer the latter yeah i also find uh, the racial politics of this show quite dubious yeah everyone keeps talking about africa like it's one big place yeah although maybe that is how they thought of it at the time i don't know and there's like some n-words thrown about Mm. in there in a way that i'm like whoa i don't know if i feel i mean obviously it's period appropriate but i'm still a bit like is it is it really necessary There, there was that very uh i thought gratuitous bit where He's, I don't know, is Tom Hardy's character having a kind of hallucination where he sees all the dead bodies in the morgue like stand up? And yeah. one of them is this, I think it's meant to be a slave or yeah. look like a slave. And I it's just a bit that. weird. Yeah, a bit uncomfortable. And basically, it's good for shows to sort of retrospectively explore racial politics, I think. But we've got, a, we were in a position where Tom Hardy basically becomes like black by association mm. or African, you yes. know, quotes by association. And it's, very strange because any sort of good work they do to be like look how racist these people are you're like this guy is white this doesn't make Mm. sense he's like a british white person and i'm a bit like confused as to why he becomes the symbol of like quote savagery and whatever the the fear is that it smacks of like a program that's like daring with race Mm. made by all white people yeah maybe that's not true and the show might get really clever later on with that but i don't know for the moment i'm the jury's out for me I spent a lot of the beginning of the program arguing with my boyfriend about who the woman was and whether she was Tom Hardy's sister. I thought she was the sister. He thought it was the ex-wife or maybe daughter. It was like... <laughs> it's half-sister. She says it later in the she program. She does later. She yeah. like clarifies. But there's this kind of hint that, you know, maybe relations between them have been not entirely fraternal, you know. Yeah, maybe there's some incest going on there, which would be... <clears throat> taboo (laughs) there's so many moments of this where you're like is this the (laughs) taboo (laughs) like race incest money i don't know it's like all very i i can just imagine people sat around discussing this like yeah but of course the real taboo at the heart of taboo is um mixed feelings for me overall about it i one thing i did feel very positive about was the choice of locations Mm -hmm. as someone who is very into like the outer thames estuary i really enjoyed all the scenes of tom hardy like walking along the foreshore it's very actually a similar landscape to the essex serpent that we talked about before it is yeah and i thought that was really nice to see that actually on screen lots of you know stuff about ships and docks as i say i was more interested in the kind of east india company plot than i was the rest of it yeah starring everyone from game of thrones yeah mixed mixed thoughts but i will keep watching to see if it Mm. starts getting really good ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Next, we're going to talk about La La Land, the second feature film from director Damien Chazelle. A musical in the old Hollywood style, it stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone as Seb and Mia, two struggling creatives in LA who fall in love and encourage each other to follow their dreams. That makes it sound like very, very twee and whimsical and not very cynical. But I think the great thing about this musical is it's kind of a mix of both those things. Yeah, it's both starry-eyed, but also realistic at the same time somehow. strange that we keep running into each other. Maybe it means something. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. You could just write your own roles, you know, write something that's as interesting as you are. What are you going to do? I have my own club. Is that going to happen every time? I think so. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. Maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. I've seen this a bunch of times. You saw it for the first time the other day. What did, were your immediate reactions? I cried a lot. The whole way through? Basically, yeah. The film starts with this amazing set piece with loads of people in a traffic jam on a flyover in LA and then the music begins and they start getting out of their cars and dancing on the, the roof. And the, the song is called Another Day of Sun. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of all about, we're all here in LA, it's the land of sun and opportunity. We get knocked back and we're just going to try harder this time. Yeah, it's basically, I get knocked down yeah (laughs) but in the dreamy hollywood stuff and it's just this like flowering of creativity out of the most boring quotidian thing aka a traffic jam Mm -hmm. and the point at which people started break dancing i just was like lost it i was like this is so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) caroline solved from the opening because i think that scene they debated a lot about whether to keep it in or not because 
basically it is so like immediately like hello you're in musical land everyone here like sings and dances in unison when they're stuck in a traffic jam that i think maybe the studio or some people thought maybe it was too much of a risk so they took it out of certain screen tests Mm. but people responded really well to it and they were like oh yeah we kind of have to keep this in and i do think it's really good that it signals early on that this is a film that will just like launch into fantasy sometimes because I think otherwise it might seem a bit more jarring when it does. When it does later on. I think it's, yeah, you're right. It's good to establish early on that it does that. And it also works very well in the chronological framing narrative. Mm -hmm. Because actually in that traffic jam is Seb and Mia's first encounter. Mm -hmm. Because she's rehearsing some lines and like forgets to inch her car forward slightly and he's behind her and he gets really annoyed and he like zooms around to overtake her and she gives him the finger there's a great line there as well that i I think some of the best bits of this film are really low-key and there's a bit where emma stone her character mia goes what is his problem she okay i should go (laughs) like that she's like no i am holding up all the traffic and those performances when they're i just think they're so subtle and just these little moments really can capture you as meet cutes go in movie history giving someone the finger who honked at you in traffic Mm -hmm. is right up there Mm -hmm. that's the first of several like chance meetings that they have yeah and it's never actually specified whether they ever remember that one no they have several as you say meetings and then they're sort of like oh i remember you but i I sort of like the idea that that's just for the audience and that they actually don't remember this they don't remember it because i mean it's a split second he might Mm -hmm. not even see her face properly etc so we follow mia through the next few hours Mm -hmm. until she ends up in a piano bar where seb is playing and then it circles back to the traffic jam we follow seb back up to the same moment Mm -hmm. and that meeting in the bar where Seb is contracted to play boring Christmas carols on a piano. Some great comedy piano playing in that scene. (laughs) And then he, you know, he just can't hold the jazz in and he starts playing his own compositions with great flourishes and stuff and he gets fired. And Mia has heard him playing from outside and she's wandered in and that is a kind of pivotal moment of the whole film. The whole thing revolves around it. Mm -hmm. And that's when what they're calling on the score, Mia and Seb's theme, is first introduced, which is really, I think, the emotional heart of this film is actually this piece of music And I think one of the reasons that I have like cried every time I've seen this movie, I've seen it four times now, is because the music is so moving. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously the performances are really good. I think especially Emma Stone's performance is just like when you're looking at her face welling up with tears, it's really hard not to cry because she's just so good. And, you know, obviously the movie itself, I find like an amazing feat of directing, but the music just anchors it and means that you can watch it again and again and again and still feel moved yeah we wanted to mention the song exploder podcast has done an episode about one particular song from this film mm-hmm. the song that's just called mia's audition I yeah think. it's just called audition i think yeah. brackets the fools who dream yeah. close brackets song exploder if you're not familiar with it is a great podcast by rishke hirway in which he talks with a composer or a musician and gets them to take apart their song track by track layer by layer so you, and then talk about why they made the creative decisions that they did and so in this he's talking to the composer and the lyricists Mm -hmm. for this song it's justin Hurwitz who's sort of overseen all the music yeah they just talk about why he orchestrated it the way he did why particular instruments play what they do occasionally it lapses into what Hurwitz calls nerdy musical theory talk but by and large it's just him saying and then I wanted the violins to play this really high shimmery bit because it gives you this feeling of x you know Mm -hmm. and what you understand from that is that 
he has thought about every single musical decision in terms of what emotion it will provoke. He says at one point, I just think people feel like lots of different things in really quick succession mm. and it's not realistic to have like one emotion that's fairly flat throughout a whole song. It has to keep surprising you, which I think is so true. Yeah, and it's brilliant that that's the way he's tried to construct his music. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're completely right in saying that it's the emotional heart of the film and that's deliberate and you know someone's worked very hard to make it so we won't spoil this film too much but i think the the musical last 10 minutes of this film Mm. are just i've just not seen something in the movies like that ever before and it's so emotional and it's so reliant on the music there's no dialogue in the final sort of 10 minute scene um, of this film and it's just beautiful it's just i think it's an amazing feat and there are some like problematic elements of this film for sure. I read a really good article by Ira Madison III on MTV about, you know, the idea of white jazz in this film bit and the idea that basically white people are portrayed as the experts or this one white character Seb is portrayed as the expert around jazz in a way that's like definitely racially problematic. But I still just instinctively respond so emotionally to this film and for me the Seb character and his plotline is actually probably the bit of the film I'm least interested Mm. in but I just find their romance so moving and the ideas behind it so moving I love that there's so many scenes where they're watching things and having emotional reactions to them we see so many scenes of Emma Stone watching Ryan Gosling play and having these emotional reactions or maybe they're in a cinema or in a planetarium or maybe watching their own home movies you know it's just these series of watching stuff play out in front of you and responding to it instinctively and the idea that that doesn't have to be passive I think really moves me and yeah I just thought it was amazing we should just mention the look of the film Mm -hmm. I I found really attractive as well because everything is like primary colors and bright and there's a lot made of the sky Mm -hmm. you know there's a whole song about isn't this a great sunset Mm -hmm. what a shame that you know we're not a couple that's going to enjoy it Mm -hmm. hint hint you will be soon you know that kind of thing but there's also just this one shot after um without going into too much detail emma stone's character is putting on this play and ryan gosling isn't there and he like races in his car to go and see it but the theater's already been locked up and there's this wide shot of him with his car parked in front of the theater with him standing in front kind of kicking at the curb in frustration and everything is like dusky i think it's even a lyric from one of the songs dusky night and neon signs or something mm-hmm. and it's everything's kind of pink and purple and i just thought this is what everyone thinks la is yeah it looks almost like a hopper painting some mm. of those colors and I love that. All those primary colours as well, I think is where you can really start to see some of the influences from some older films, Mm -hmm. like The Umbrellas of Cherbourg has been what so many critics keep saying is like the biggest influence on this film. And those, yeah, those really bright colours. There's even a moment where she points at the window from Casablanca and underneath it's this shop and they're selling those really, really primary yellow jackets like from Singing in the Rain. And I think that Technicolor feel is just throughout this whole movie and then she at some point she wears a dress in that color as well i think doesn't she and they also just in the way that the film is framed you know the beginning and the ending before you see anything else you see this big screen saying presented in cinema scope you know it's also referential to the movie musicals and i think you in one of the interviews i've listened to with the director they or maybe it was even that song exploder episode justin thurwitz talks about how overcome he was at getting to record the music on the same sound stage that they recorded the scores for like fred and ginger mm. musicals and it's like the people who made this are such hollywood nerds yeah and they are so happy to be like participating 
participating in this tradition. Exactly. So I think it's a film that is designed for people who are nostalgic about Hollywood and it will probably win lots of... So already today it's become the biggest Golden Globe winner ever. It's won more awards than anything. (laughs) So I think although the Golden Globes doesn't necessarily predict that well for the Oscars, I do think it will do amazingly well at the Oscars. I think it was well and I think what the artist taught us about the Oscars, as you know many many films had proved before, that Hollywood loves a film about Hollywood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, why do you think it's remade A Star Is Born like five times? Yeah, exactly. So I'm pretty pleased, I have to say, that it will win big, even if it's for slightly cynical reasons, which is, you know, maybe a bit navel-gazing on the part of the Academy. But I love this film. I really, really want the composer. Yeah, Justin Hurwitz, we well. want him to win big. And I think Emma Stone and as Emma well. Emma Stone as well, yeah. So I wouldn't be so bold as to say I have predictions for awards season. I mm-hmm. have hopes. Those mm-hmm. are my hopes. <laughs> that Anna give The Box of Delights, a 1984 BBC children's TV show, a go. Anna, what did you make of it? Fucking weird. (laughs) It's so weird, isn't it? (laughs) It's so weird. Though I have to say, I think the first, I watched the first episode and I think that might just be setting the scene in terms Mm. of weirdness was the vibe that I got because it was more like a normal kid living his life with then like random interjections of weirdness. And I don't know what the rest of Box of Delights is like, but just from hearing you talk about it and Hannah's email, it seems like maybe it really ramps up as it goes along, I don't know. It does, and as you might expect, you know, it being a story about a boy in the 1930s, it's based on a 1935 novel called The Box of Delights by John Maysfield. You know, it's about this boy, Kay, who comes home from his boarding school and in the depths of winter to stay with his guardian and he gets kind of brought into this pagan magic-y adventure mm-hmm. as he's... and it seems like his life has been like dead normal before yeah. that and this is like the transitionary episode so yes exactly so as he spends more and more time on the adventure yeah 
I guess you get more acclimatized to the fact that like horses fly and stuff. Yeah. So in this first episode, everything's pretty normal. He's like getting on the train, and then there are these two guys in his compartment who are like so weird, like British, so creepy, so creepy, and they're really like Queen's English British voices, and they're like, "Hello, young man. Like, would wouldn't you like to play some cards? Oh, they do say that you should never play cards with strangers. Oh, but I suppose it wouldn't harm if I showed you how to play a trick." And they like know his name and everything. Mm. And then like when the train goes through certain tunnels, they seem to like have the heads of wolves (laughs) it's very very odd there's this like old guy who sort of like helped him get on the train who's like hanging about and seems weird and magical and he says that he's a showman um and he does a punch and judy show and then Kay like tries to find him later and this guy like shows him a phoenix in the flames Mm. and it's all like it's all like really weird basically but yeah i did find myself intrigued it is quite addictive i i found i think the atmosphere of it perhaps more than actually what's happening it's very like the english version of pagan i feel Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of i don't know if you ever read the susan cooper books you know i loved those the dark is rising the dark is rising all the stuff about Hearn the hunter Mm -hmm. and the symbolism of deer and stuff yeah felt very similar to that yeah that's true which is another, like, children resisting the rise of dark forces type book. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So thanks. I would never have seen something like this if you hadn't recommended it to me, I don't think. Well, I only got to watch it because my boyfriend vaguely remembered it from being on. Mm. And then he he found you can buy the DVDs. And we watched the whole thing. <laughs> and then we, we enjoyed it all before Christmas. And then actually on Christmas, one of his friends posted on Facebook, like, yay, happy Christmas. And he used a still from Box, Box of, of Delights. Delights. And we were like... How do you know about this? No one knows about this. And then it prompted this whole conversation about it. And it turns out quite a lot of people. I guess if you're the right generation for it, you're the right generation for it. Quite a lot of people like privately remember Box of Delights, but think that no one else does. I think that I found this YouTube comment on the the first episode that I just really spoke to that idea. by someone called Alini who put I watched this when I was very young at Christmas time in Greece more than 30 years ago I'm 42 now and it made quite an impression at me I didn't know the name of this show as years flew by the only thing I could still remember was the opening theme it has haunted me I came here by chance today without knowing what this was and as soon as the opening theme played I was a child again dot 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 I am not ashamed to say I cried which <laughs> is the greatest like mini narrative oh, also, I felt like I was reading a novel and they put thank you Den Finch who I believe is the uploader of this particular video for bringing back so many innocent memories <laughs> so um two great narratives that I enjoyed on the YouTube page for Box of Delights so thanks very much so what are you going to recommend me for next time So for next time, I thought I'd go podcast. Mm. And a podcast that came to mind was Speed Dial, which is a podcast from Ira Madison III, Ah. who we mentioned earlier, and Doreen St. Felix, who are two writers that we both really enjoy, who both write for MTV. They're cultural critics. They're extremely sharp. And Speed Dial is their weekly podcast. They describe it as your weekly dive into all the pop culture news you should be following or leaving behind. Um, And it has a series of like regular features, as well as interviews with guests like Kelly Rowland and Jojo. So that's the level we're at. It's very good and they have been getting more political since trump which i really enjoy as well sounds great look forward to it thanks for listening to this episode of seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman if you enjoyed the show why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode you can find us wherever you get your podcasts including in itunes where you could leave us a rating and a review it helps other people find the show 
You can also get all our back episodes on seriouslypod.com, as well as details of how to sign up for our newsletter and what events we've got coming up. Also on the website, you can find our specials on Home Alone, Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're S-R-S-L-Y-P-O-D on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Oh, yeah. 